Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band. It's a bad band. It's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what. There's music in the air. Tame Impala, a band from the other side of the world in Perth, Australia, is now making a big impact in the U.S. I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. We've got Tame Impala live in the studio. Then we review the band's new album, and Greg adds another track to the Desert Island Jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Jim, as you and the listeners know, the Desert Island Jukebox is one of our favorite segments of Love the show. It. Love it. We've done hundreds of these, I guess, and it's just uh, one of those things where every week we come up with a track that we think reflects something that we're thinking about. And this particular week, I have been thinking about a band out of the U.K., the Mekons, because they are touring for the first time in years. But I'm not playing a Mekons track, so I'm, I'm hoping the listeners will enjoy it. I know I will enjoy the song, but first we got some music news. Like high-placed drifters and midnight misters Dancing with the devil's rock and roll Dirt poor playboys and drugstore cowboys Hey, Rebel Soul Kid Rock with Rebel Soul, the title track from his 2012 album Why are we playing Kid Rock? Why are we playing that song? Well, that artist and that song is at the center of a controversy that has been brewing for several months in the South. The South Carolina legislature recently voted to remove the Confederate flag from the statehouse. The governor signed it into law. This was motivated by the racially tinged shooting of nine people at a historic church in Charleston. There's been national reaction to that decision and that shooting. And it's also uh, affected the rock world. I mean, for decades, the Confederate flag, it's been cool for certain bands to use the Confederate flag as a sign of how rebel they are and how, you know, non-establishment, non-conformist they are. We're talking about people like Leonard Skinner, Pantera, Zach Wilde, Hank Williams Jr. and Blake Shelton from the country area. They've used it from everything from a stage backdrop and in their merch to pieces of their song lyrics. Now we have activists in Michigan demanding that an artist like Kid Rock stop displaying the flag as he did on the 2012 tour. Well, Kid Rock had a very terse response when asked about what the activists were protesting. He said, please tell the people who are protesting to kiss my butt. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Mm. Kid Rock from Michigan, how he relates to the Confederate flag, you know, it seems a little bit uh, disingenuous on his part. My favorite part of this whole controversy has been the number of history professors stepping forward to say what that battle standard, it's not even actually the flag of the Confederacy, what it actually means. Yeah, and I think it has driven a number of people to examine their conscience and their feelings about what that flag represents. An artist like Chuck D of Public Enemy getting on Twitter and and social media and basically saying to African Americans, this is a swastika and has been for decades. And it's about time that people started recognizing what it actually means in, in that context. 
you still have artists who are very defined about this. Pantera has been defunct for a number of years, but they're still selling T-shirts on their website bearing the flag, for example. But an artist like Tom Petty, who featured the Confederate flag prominently on stage during his Southern Accents tour in 1985, now says he regrets the decision. The Confederate flag became part of the marketing for the tour, he says. I wish I had given it more thought. It was a downright stupid thing to do. And I think the most eloquent statement about this entire controversy has come from the Drive-By Truckers' Patterson Hood. The Drive-By Truckers, a band famous for addressing a lot of these issues head-on. They're from Alabama. They have lived with the duality of that Southern thing, as Patterson Hood has said. They addressed it in their 2001 Southern rock opera album. And in a recent piece in the New York Times magazine, he again took it on in a very thoughtful essay. Here's what Patterson had to say. If we want to truly honor our Southern forefathers, we should do it by moving on from the symbols and prejudices of their time and building on the diversity, the art, and the literary traditions we've inherited from them. What do you guys think about it at home? Give us a call to the Sound Opinions hotline, 888-859-1800. you got that cheese. Greg, that, of course, is a little bit of Taylor Swift, whose music is now available on Apple Music. That got a lot of attention. So did the launch overall on June 30th of Apple Music, Apple's bid to get into the streaming music business in a big way. So there's been a lot of attention so far. People are comparing it to Spotify. Interestingly, Spotify, in the couple of weeks since Apple Music's launch, has uh, had more downloads on the iTunes store than ever in its history since breaking into this country. I think all of the attention on the word streaming, period, is getting people to just turn to it, and Spotify right now is the name out front. Both have 30 million songs, roughly. Spotify makes it a little easier for me to share a playlist with you. I can still do that on Apple, but not in the app. On the other hand, Apple Music has the Beats 1 global radio station, which I found kind of cool when I was listening to. A 24-7 global radio curated by DJs from around the world. Really genre-blind and eclectic and interesting. I was in Paris on vacation, and my wife and I went to the Picasso Museum, okay? And I'm singing the whole time Jonathan Richmond's Pablo Picasso. Great song, right? (laughs) And she'd never heard it, so I'm not doing it justice. I turned to the update I'd automatically gotten on my iPhone, and it took me, you know, I don't know, 10 seconds using the search function to find both John Cale's version of that song and Jonathan Richmond's. I didn't find it that difficult. Other people have complained about the search function and said, you have to ask Siri to find me whatever song. What's going to happen in three months? That's going to be interesting to see. Because three months from now, the free trial of Apple Music ends, and you have to decide whether it's going to be worth $10 a month for you to continue streaming through Apple. That's when we're going to really have an interesting news story about the success or failure of Apple Music. This 
Sound Opinions, and you're listening to Eventually from Australian psychedelic rockers Tame Impala, this band led by singer, songwriter, guitarist Kevin Parker, who's gained quite a reputation as an audio perfectionist, spending months and months on every detail of his band's recordings. And he's been this way since he began making music at age 11. I think it's fair to say the attention to detail has paid off. Tame Impala's 2012 record, Lonerism, ended up on both of our best lists for that year, Greg. And now they're playing prime spots at big festivals like Lollapalooza, supporting their new album, Currents, which we'll review later in the show. Tame Impala joined us in the studio in 2013. Now at the time, the members of the band included Kevin Parker, Dominic Simper, Jay Watson, Nick Albrook, and Julian Barbagallo. We began our conversation with Parker's early bedroom recordings, and I asked Kevin about how he started down the road of bedroom recording at such a young age. I guess it was just the obsession with hearing yourself played back to yourself. You know, like being able to just layer things on top of each other. I don't know, it just seemed like an amazing concept in a completely egotistical way, <laughs> you know. You had a tape recorder, you had, what, it was a four track, or what, what, what kind just, of gear did um, you have? It was just a cassette. I just had found two cassette players in the house and recorded drums onto one of them and then played that back when I was like hitting a keyboard and then like recorded that into a new tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like a, it was like a really standard living room hi fi tape recorder. And That's then got really that. It's really primitive. Oh, yeah, super primitive. It sounded terrible. <laughs> how, but how awesome. Old, how old so, was this? What was the age? 11 or 12 or something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the Tame Impala story really starts at 13. You're in Catholic high school, right, in Perth, Australia, and you meet Dominic Simper. Yeah, that's when we started playing music together. What we did just, you see in each other that brought you guys together? I, I instantly noticed that Dom was a better guitarist than me, and I was really <laughs> jealous. And I was like, oh. What were you guys listening to at 13? Oh, I was just all, all, all things guitar and angsty, mm-hmm. and I just noticed Dom could shred insanely <laughs> okay all right, so in, fact, in fact i think he was playing i remember he was playing oh no i i heard some like red hot chili peppers playing in the room next to me because we had this like music class and i thought it was someone who put on the cd mm-hmm. and it was just dom playing like scar tissue or whatever uh-huh. and i was like what <laughs> dom is here in complete silence and he's he's running scales up and down the neck yeah, right, yeah. so we, i think we got his number we know we know but you're not posing about it kevin you're not saying i was deconstructing smile and trying to put it back together at age 13 oh no no far from it. 13 years old the two of you get together you took it out of the bedroom obviously did you did you get out and play some shows at that point no not really i mean once a year the school put on a like a fate and all the bands could like play in the school hall <laughs> while everyone else was like walking around eating fairy floss and that was like the date that we looked forward to the most we had like you know three people watching but it was still the most amazing thing is this an australian thing like vegemite fairy floss oh fairy floss yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. it's a new one on us and we're curious oh, cotton candy cotton candy all right okay
the band got going in 2010 with Inner Speaker. That was the that was the album that a lot of people took notice of here in the states. That was the first anybody had heard of you. So, walk us through that that transition from you know two guys making music in the hallway at school to making this incredibly elaborate debut album in 2010. Well, they're always kind of separate, like well, separate but sort of connected. There'd always be me in in my bedroom making music, and then we'd play gigs. Sometimes not even the same song. Sometimes we play a completely different set list of any stuff I was recording. And some of some of the songs we played, I never recorded because they were just live songs. You know, I never really knew how to. I never really sort of thought that the live band and the recording project were. It had the same name, but that was about it. The name was the only thing that was really linked about it. Other than that, it was just like a completely different way of making music. And it's only really now, like the last couple of years, that there's a reason to tie the two together. <laughs> so so really that first record was basically an extension of what you were doing when you were an 11, 12-year-old kid making those crude little it still recordings is. of yourself. It's, I still record more crudely than anyone I know. Like this this recording session we're doing now is a lot more high fidelity than, than, <laughs> than, than lonerism was recorded. Hmm. I still record just as terribly as I always have. What do you, what do you mean by that though exactly? I mean people are are saying you get these beautiful sounds. What and yet yeah. you're so <laughs> deprecating about the uh, I don't know. about the recording technology. What is what is crude about it? Is is it just old stuff or or what it's, exactly are you using? Well, it's just whatever I can get my hands on really. I mean, the instruments I kind of take a lot of pride in like the guitars and drums and stuff, but the microphones, like most, all the microphones I own just got given to me by our friend who has a studio because he felt sorry for me because <laughs> I only had like one mic that I use on the drums. And, and sometimes I can't, if, if I'm in a spot where I got to record something and I don't have anything, then it's just going to be singing into the laptop mic, you know. And it, well, I, in fact, I never did that on the album, but the lead guitar in uh, Apocalypse Dreams is like the guitar just plugged with a lead and a headphone jack and like a, a jack plugged into the microphone input on my MacBook and then just like screwed with it on Ableton. Like that's the sound. There's no pedals or anything. It's just and that's pretty much as terrible as you can get. Well, uh, Tame Impala is here in the studio with us on Sound Opinions. How about a song, Kevin? Uh, this is um, Why Won't You Make Up Your Mind. By Tame Impala.
Why Won't You Make Up Your Mind by Tame Impala live on Sound Opinions. Coming up after the break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more music and talk with Kevin Parker and the band. Then, later in the show, we review Tame Impala's new album, Currents. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And this week we're revisiting our 2013 conversation with the members of Tame Impala, the Australian psychedelic rock band led by Kevin Parker with a sound that's a mix of vintage Pink Floyd era psychedelia and modern pop. Tame Impala's debut inner speaker uh, got a lot of notice for introducing this sound. They went on to work with veteran record producer Dave Fridman for the follow-up Lonerism in 2012. Fridman, of course, has worked on albums by The Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev. We continued our conversation with Kevin Parker, wondering why the band wanted to travel halfway around the world to upstate New York to work with the mysterious but congenial Mr. Fridman. It was obvious, really, because um, we were all such massive fans of music that he's been involved with. It was just such a like a mystical thing, like the Dave Fridman sound and what he does. You know, it was like this. He was like a he was like a rock star to us. And then you yeah. meet him, and he's like a high school basketball coach. Yeah, and you're like, you made that ever. freaky music. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, that's what like that's what's like whenever you meet someone that makes like the most tripped out music you've ever heard. Is that they, they always just end up being a pretty chilled out normal guy. Yeah, it's just testament to how good he is. The the distance that people travel to get there. I mean, like, New York State is, I think it's almost exactly the other side of the world for us. Like, if you draw, a line. You drill a hole, if you get a globe and drill a hole through, it, through <laughs> uh-huh. Perth, you'll end up pretty close to New York City. In upstate New York. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was surreal. I was jet-lagged and I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about the album and um, I was going totally, totally cuckoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we have heard you are an audio perfectionist, even sound checking for this session. What was it that Dave Fredman was able to do for you that you didn't think you could do yourself? I don't know. It's hard to put a finger on because if I knew what it was he was doing, then I'd be able to do it myself. <laughs> then you could you do know? it yourself. <laughs> it's because I don't know what it is. I listen back to his mixes because I do it like a rough mix before I give it to him. I'm just like, this is what I'm trying to do. 
he just has this way of um, giving it this extra layer of sonic, crispy goodness. You know, okay. I, I can't even. Yeah, it's because I can't even put it into words or you know, like know really what it is that that makes it so appealing. Okay. Well, in some ways, I would imagine you're immersed in this recording for a year or more, and then it's just probably great to have another set of ears on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got the rest of the guys as well to like mm-hmm. tell me what they hear when. Because it's true, you totally lose perspective. Sometimes, I, you know, listening back to it for the 50th time in a day and you think it sounds like Basement Jacks or something. <laughs> <laughs> and your friends come and they're like, dude, it sounds like Psych Rock. <laughs> so I would imagine Fridman, having talked to the man, it sounds like he could be a, a pretty good psychologist too. He'd be like a kind of guy that would be reassuring as opposed to, oh, this is crap, we got to start all over totally. again. Totally, yeah, he's the ultimate stabilizer. He's like, I'll be like, Dave, I'm freaking out, like, you know, there's drums. I don't know if they're too loud or too quiet. He's just like, it doesn't matter. No one's going to be thinking that, you know, because the, he's just like, the audience isn't going to know that there was another version of the drums where they were slightly quieter. Uh-huh. So he just, you know, but at the same time, he understands what it's like to get totally bugged out about making an album. Of course. What record in particular of his that you heard led you to to his place thinking I'm on the right track here this is a guy I want to work with was there, was there any particular album or particular group song recording that he made that led you there chronologically uh, Oracular Spectacular we all just totally went nuts over that album and GMT um, right yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and coincidentally like a few weeks later we went to Japan and saw the Flaming Lips and then became Flaming Lips slaves after that and it sounds like you've got certain qualities that you picked up from some of those recordings. I mean, I, I get the sense that you're you're not afraid of a little bit of distortion, sometimes a lot of distortion. <laughs> there's beauty, but at the same time, there's also uh, this love of this big, crunchy, noisy sound. And yeah. it seems like that's something that Fridman does well. It's his bread and butter, mm-hmm. different types of distortion. But it's it's an art because just distorting something doesn't necessarily make it sound good. Because there's that, there's that kind of distortion, that kind of crunchiness that has its own kind of emotion to it. Mm-hmm. But when something is like totally rumbling and like fuzzed out in a particular way, it makes you really fall in love with it. 30 years ago, they would have said it's a defective recording. You can't put that out. Exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but you're okay with that. That's fine. Oh, man, I wouldn't be able to live without it. <laughs> <laughs> so Inner Speaker puts you on the map in a big way the band is is touring the world at that point right well i mean it was kind of just something that not not thrust upon us but it just became our lives because the we were signed to a record label and touring became a thing and it was uh, for us it was this totally new thing it's just a new experience of traveling all the time because up until then we just played gigs in perth you know every sort of few days so yeah. you were able to play that often every few days really Oh, you can play whenever you want in Perth. There's always places to play. <laughs> do, really? people, do people listen to you? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the audience doesn't, it doesn't even seem to be like a, a significant part of the, the thing. It's more just like inventing a band and then putting on a gig later that night. And if hmm. anyone's watching, then great. But if not, it doesn't matter. How about another song, Kevin? Yeah, and tell, awesome. tell us what you're going to play. We're going to play uh, Elephant. All right.
All right. Tame Impala on Sound Opinions with Elephant. Killer tune. Thank you so much, guys. No I'm glad you played that one because it's interesting. There's two songs on the last album, Lonerism, that, Kevin, you wrote with Jay, who, as I said, has been part of the band, part of the crew since 2007. He's playing synthesizers at this session and eating an apple. Is it bad if when you eat an apple your gums hurt a lot? <laughs> Might be time for a visit to the dentist. Yeah. Do you have socialized medicine in Australia? My mouth is really sore. <laughs> He was, eating, right. he was eating the apple for most of that song. I'm glad you've, you've got a mic, Jay, because I'm, I'm curious, how does Kevin write? How do these songs originate when he brings them to you guys and says, we're going to play them live? What kind of shape are they in, and what did you add to Elephant? He just does them all himself and has like a 30-second demo of the chorus. Elephant, I, I'm not as proud of as Apocalypse. Apocalypse Dreams was my chords in the verse. Yeah, Elephant. Great song. Elephant, it turns out, uh, my one contribution was accidentally ripping off Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not, as in, I'm not as entirely proud about that. I got Apocalypse you. Dreams, I am, you know, because I, I, I did more on that one. So know. there are demos. There are roughed out ideas of what these songs are going to be when Kevin presents them. Elephant was, is Kevin's song, and I just added a little bit in the middle. Mm-hmm. Are you writing on acoustic guitar, Kevin? Or, or, or are you constructing these songs in the studio with all these different sounds from the beginning? Yeah, totally. It's just sort of building it from the ground up it's just whatever instrument's lying around it really dictates what the instrument what the song gets played on yeah in fact we still don't know who wrote the chords for the soul you know the, like the, the instrumental break in elephant we still don't know who wrote the chords for that hmm. we have discussions about it where did it come which from sometimes turn to arguments <laughs> it was definitely me because kevin never p- plays a minor and then does a, a major and then does a minor afterward we also don't know who wrote the bass line of Apocalypse Dreams. It's definitely Personally, me. I think, I think it was me. It's definitely me too because I remember. I, I, <laughs> I remember when I played in the demo. I was like, I got, "Doesn't this sound like Outcast?" You know. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I remember thinking that your chords sounded like the Jackson Five, so I purposely did a Jackson Five bass line. This is turning into like the Let It Be documentary where a band breaks <laughs> up right, on right, film. He's still eating <laughs> when, <laughs> I play, when I when I when I played it to him, I told him it sounded like "Can You Feel It" by the Jackson Five. I'm glad Jay mentioned these words, Pink Floyd. Kevin, I, I, this was my album of the year, Lonerism, last year. Oh, um, and, and I love this genre. I, I've spent a career writing about psychedelic rock. Mm-hmm. And it, how did you fall in love with so many of these sounds and this approach to music when, you know, for all intents and purposes, it, it, was, it, it was 40 years before you were born? I don't know. Like, we all kind of, that's how we all kind of became friends. It was just love of crazy music. But, I mean, the Pink Floyd one's a weird one because... I'm not even really a big Pink Floyd fan. In fact, I, I was the guy in the house that was always like, I didn't get Pink Floyd. Mm. Everyone, everyone was like a disciple, and I was like, I don't, I don't get it. I still don't listen, I don't listen to Pink Floyd. I, I can't even really listen to Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd. Mm. He used to do the most disparaging impressions of Sid Barrett. We're the ones <laughs> really? that like Sid Barrett. He thinks he's hilarious. <laughs> I just don't get it. I mean, Space Rock, they, they started the Space Rock thing, but... Right. But is it the whimsy that bothers you? You know, I've got a mouse. He hasn't got a house. I don't know why I call him Gerald. It's whimsy. It's just, yeah, yeah a bit kind of circus I don't know. Okay. All right. Doop, 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 doop. <laughs> I got, all right. I, got, I can respect that 100%. As many people as I interviewed for my book, hundreds of, of, of musicians in this genre said, uh, it was split right down the middle, said, you have to take psychedelic drugs to be able to make this music. As said, the other side, I've never taken drugs. The goal for me was all about creating a new world in that space between your headphones. Where do you stand on that issue? I don't know. Like, we smoke weed sometimes. Some of the songs I was stoned when I wrote them, and some of them I was completely sober. There doesn't really seem to be any correlation between whether you're high or not. It's kind of like 
if you can enjoy music sober and then you take drugs or do whatever and it's even better than great but if you need it if you need the drugs to to enjoy it then you, it's kind of something wrong there you know I remember realising a lot of my naffest songs were the ones I wrote stoned because I thought yeah. they were really good and they probably weren't actually that good. You know, yeah. I read somewhere once that Josh Homme or whatever from the Queens of Stone Age sure. yeah. said he stopped smoking weed because um, he was driving home one day from the studio and it was a Britney Spears song. And it wasn't a good one either. It was like a newer one. And he thought it was like the best thing he'd ever heard or something. <laughs> and, then he realized, and then he was like, oh man, i got to stop smoking weed. Um, I was just going to say that the whole psychedelic music and crazy music things and drugs, they seem to, like, be a supplement for the other. For example, the, some of the people we know that are the most, like, out of it, you know, the biggest acid heads or whatever, they make the most simple, just cruisy music. And some of the most sober people we know make the most effed up music, you know. It's kind of like, if you're on drugs, you don't really need that kind of sonic explosion to, to satisfy So I want to throw out another band. Jim mentioned Pink Floyd, Supertramp. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, they're, like, probably my biggest influence. And it blows me away how, like, people hear, the, like, the Sid Barrett, but they don't hear the Supertramp. Because all my, all my melodies are kind of just that kind of, like... Especially the last album, it's got that kind of, like, blown out but still pop kind of thing. So your lonerism is the, your answer to, what, Breakfast in Breakfast America? Breakfast in America, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Which is a great record, um, and I can see where you're coming from because that guy in, in Breakfast in America is singing a lot of melancholy songs with these great high, happy melodies. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you know, you know I want to get into the theme of, of, of lonerism itself. It, it 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 obviously works as sort of a song cycle. Did you sort of approach it from the standpoint that I'm going to be writing a series of songs about this subject, or did it, it just sort of end up that way? Yeah, I think it kind of just congealed slowly. I didn't really know I was writing songs that had this kind of theme going if there is even a theme I mean you know like when I started to think about it as like an album having like a thing I found myself um like just looking at the songs differently looking at how that relates to like the whole lonerism thing rather than like you know starting out with this idea and writing 12 songs about that it was kind of just they all happened naturally well, people extrapolate from that, you know, they think, okay, you know, guy who makes records by himself, you know, for years at a time, obsesses over these details, uh, they're thinking you're writing about yourself. You're, you're, this is your life that you're, you're pouring into these songs. How do, you, how do you respond to that? Well, I guess it is, at the end of the day. I pretend that it's not while I'm doing it so that I can kind of feel more confident about it because I'm, you know, pretty self-conscious when it comes to writing lyrics, so I kind of just pretend that it's someone else Mm -hmm. you know and that kind of gets me to the other side you're listening to sound opinions we are here in the studio with tame impala and they're going to play another song kevin tell us what it's going to be this is feels like we're going to go backwards all right let's do it i give some tempo
feels like we only go backwards from Tame Impala on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Codd with Jim DeRogatis. We're here in the studio with Tame Impala, Kevin Parker, Julian Barbagello, Nick Albrook, Dominic Simpa, Jay Watson. Thank you so much for coming in, guys. No worries. Thanks for having us. You can hear all of Tame Impala's live tracks at our website, soundopinions.org. And we want to hear from you. What are your favorite examples of contemporary artists drawing on psychedelic rock influences? Tell us at 888-859-1800. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we review Tame Impala's new record, and it's Greg's turn to drop a quarter into the Desert Island Jukebox. Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis here with Greg Cott, and that is a little bit of the song Let It Happen from the new Tame Impala album Currents, the third of their career, Greg. Formed by Kevin Parker, vocalist, guitarist, and Dominic Simper, the bassist, when they were both pre-teens, recording in their bedroom in the late 90s and early 2000s. Made a big splash in the early 2000s via MySpace. Two albums that grew the audience in the United States especially, also big in the U.K., working with Dave Fridman, producer of The Flaming Lips, who quite clearly were heroes to Tame Impala. When we had them on the show, I have to say, I don't think I've ever seen a band spend more time sound-checking and perfecting the guitar tones especially. Kevin Parker clearly has a Brian Wilson-like devotion to particular sounds he's hearing in his head. For the third album, Currents, Kevin is not working with Fridman or any other producer, really. Did most of it himself in Australia. What are we getting on this new disc? Let's play a song, and then we'll give our reviews. This is Cause I'm a Man by Tame Impala from Currents on Sound Opinions.
Because I'm a Man from Tame Impala's new album is Currents, their third studio album. And I think that song, more than any on the album, illustrates what a left turn this album will be for many Tame Impala fans, especially those who came to the band with that uh, Lonerism record in 2012, one of the best records of that year. You know, psychedelic rock, acid rock is back. This is the new guitar guru, right? Well, I'm not hearing a lot of guitar on this record. And I think a lot of fans are going to say, where did the guitars go? Where did the acid rock go? But I was excited seeing Tame Impala earlier this year debuting some of the new tracks from the Currents record. Change of pace, but my gosh, when it works, it really, really works. That track that kicks off the album, Let It Happen, is amazing, I think. Seven minutes that combines these electronic beats and textures with rock instrumentation reminds me a lot of what Daft Punk did on its last album. It kind of combines the organic with the electronic in a really intriguing way. Acid rock, but kind of more for a club vibe, more soul in the vocals, more keyboard textures instead of guitar textures. It's a trade-off that some fans aren't going to like, but I think it's a move in a really intriguing direction. His lyrics used to be really kind of oblique in the past, and they're much more direct on this record. He's talking about personal transformation, going through some things in his life, figuring them out, and realizing he has to change. And I think in that song, Because I'm a Man, some people have interpreted that as a sexist song. And I think it's exactly the opposite. I think it's an indictment of that statement, because I'm a man of of male behavior, justifying all sorts of misbehavior because I'm a man. There's a few tracks on this album that I think, to me, add up as filler because the rest of it is so brilliant. But I think overall, this is a fascinating move for Tame Impala, and I'm going to give it a buy it rating. I agree, Greg. I think it's a buy it. A couple things I'll add to the context you were giving. People keep mentioning Daft Punk as being, you know, psychedelic electronic synthesizers instead of guitars. Parker has said his transformative decision to move into electronics and keyboards came from being at a dance club and hearing Tame Impala's music played in that setting, and also an emotional experience he had listening to Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. (laughs) I think that's really interesting. What was going on in his life is he broke up, ended his romantic relationship with Melody Prochet. He had produced her Melody's Echo Chamber record, a record I was really fond of. And I I agree, he's taking responsibility for screwing that Mm -hmm. up. He's 29 years old now. He's trying to grow up. He's not the precocious kid in the bedroom anymore, and he's wondering both why he uh, hasn't changed and and embracing the change in his personal life and also embracing the change in the music. He's throwing, you know, a challenge out there to listeners. I'm changing. You can come with me Mm -hmm. or not. Right. The final touchstone, I think, is the Beach Boys. This is psychedelic in the way that Pet Sounds was psychedelic. Orchestral, sweet, pop. I think I like it even more than you. I wouldn't say there's any filler on this. I like this record start to finish, so it's an enthusiastic buy it from both of us. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As we said earlier, as often as possible here on Sound Opinions, we'd like to take a trip to the desert island, pop a quarter in the jukebox, and play you a song we can't live without. Greg, what have you got? 
Jim, uh, extremely enthused in the last few weeks, uh, I am, about the return of the Mekons. No new album in sight. I'm thinking, okay, my D.I.J., definitely going to be the Mekons. But, of course, you beat me to the punch a number of episodes ago when you played a D.I.J. Ghost by the American Mekons. Astronauts. A yeah, great, great song. song. So I'm going to play a Mekons-related track. Uh, John Langford, one of the co-founders of the Mekons, is basically an art collective masquerading as a punk band out of Leeds, England in the late 70s. They have been together for decades. John Langford is a man who likes to stay busy. He formed a side project, a side band in the early 80s called the Three Johns. Two guys named John, one guy who was named Philip. I don't know. I guess well, they figured, you know, close John enough, right? Project, yeah. Nickname for John, right. And their debut album came out in 1984 called Adam Drum Bop. They reveled in protest music, in uh, sticking it to the powers that be, but they did it with a sense of humor. A lot of protest music takes itself very seriously, very earnestly. The Three Johns did not. Guitar, bass, and drum machine. Combination of the highbrow with some of these socialist themes that were coursing through the music and the lowbrow and some very raw punk meets electronic music. A lot of fun, also wickedly serious. When you think about album titles like The Death of Everything and more. You know, <laughs> Eat Your Sons, an album themed about cannibalism, you know, and Adam Drumbop, which is a really nice trio of words, which can also mean Adam Bomb Drop. I mean, nuclear fears were at their height when this album came out. We had Thatcher and Reagan in power, and there was all sorts of fear about where the Cold War was going to take the world. Here's a song that directly addresses that. It's called Teenage Nightingales to Wax from the Three Johns on Sound Opinions. Greg Cott's Desert Island Jukebox pick for the week, Teenage Nightingales to Wax by the Three Johns. 
Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we're going to go in-depth with an interview with the B-52's Kate Pearson. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Emily Espinel. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, this is Lisa. I'm calling from Austin, Texas. My very favorite summertime hit has got to be Jeepster by T-Rex. It's one of those Shoulder shaking, hip twitching kind of hit. Anyone can get down with that song. Thanks. Bye. You slice so good with bones so fair. You've got the universe reclining in your hair because you're my baby. Yes, you're my love. Sound opinions uh, regarding songs of summer. One that popped into my mind is by the Raspberries from about 1974. It's on their final album, starting over, and the song is called Cruising Music. Inspired by the Beach Boys, obviously, but it seems to, in my opinion, outdo them. So, it's a great song. Check it out. Thank you. Hi, this is Randy Dunnigan in San Francisco, and I just listened to your second uh, summer song show, and I really liked it. But everybody keeps missing this, I think, most wonderful summer song. It's called One of Those Summers by the P-Funk All-Stars. It's Clinton at his ballad best. Anyway, it's really a song that everybody should hear. One of those summers. One of those summers. One of those summers again. Hey, Sound Opinions. Kevin from Chicago, Illinois, calling about your Songs of Summer edition episode. Uh, one song you forgot, which really epitomizes summer to me, is Deeper Shade of Soul by the Urban Dance Squad. I just think it's got that, that good summertime vibe. Love your show. Gonna keep listening. Keep doing what you're doing. Hi guys, this is Gabriel, and I'm calling from Humboldt Park in Chicago. I wanted to say that uh, once again, your show comes across as frustratingly heteronormative, and it's difficult for some of us to listen to comments like the one you made about boys watching girls on the beach, girls watching boys in their swimsuits. You know, with your feet dangling in the water mm. and watching people walk by in their swimsuits. Boys, if you're a girl. Uh, girls, if you're a boy. Wouldn't be that much trouble to... Uh, acknowledge that boys also like watching boys in swimsuits and girls like watching girls. 
I'd like it if you gave a little more consideration to your queer listeners. It's great that you give so much space to feminist voices, and I think that you could easily extend that to the uh, full spectrum of, you know, sexuality and other marginalized people. Those of us who care about such things would enjoy your show a little more. Thanks. Hi, my name is Leslie Ladd, and I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. I just finished listening to the Summer Songs episode, and I just want to say, do you know how much I love your show? Listening to Jim talk about why he hates summer is, like, worth the price of admission alone. And I heard a lot of great songs. Thank you so much. It really gives my life meaning. Thank you. Bye. more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.